Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky Show for this July 6th, 2018 edition. I'm so excited today because... I've really wanted to get this guest on for a long time. Why? Because I've read his books, and also I've had a lot of guests, such as a show I did with Randy Ritchie about Freemasonry. A bunch of other guests have name-dropped him over the years, and I thought, okay, it is time to try to track him down and get him on the program. And he is here today, and I'm really excited about it. He's got quite a very interesting testimony Boy, I'm telling you, you're you're in for a rare treat. And so let's jump right into the program. My guest today is William Schnoblem. He is the author of many books. I've got his book, Masonry Beyond the Light, and I have another book as well. He's got a book called Wicca, Satan's Little White Lie, Romancing Death, A True Story of Vampirism, Death, the Occult, and Deliverance, and so many more. I could just go on and on. But Without further ado, William Schnobelin, welcome to the program, sir. Great to have you on. Welcome. Well, it's great to be here. And I have to say, you know, I, I first heard of you. I, I saw the thing you did on Disney, which is um, a huge issue that most Christians don't entirely get. And I thought it was really, really masterful. So, you know, and then uh, my friend Shannon Davis, he suggested I should be on your show. So here we are. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's awesome. It's always wonderful to get a recommendation from my good friend Omega Man. And also, thank you about the Disney Deception is the name of that. And yes, Disney, that is straight out of the pit of hell. But that's a whole other show. Now, Listen, William, you've got such an incredible background. Randy Ritchie said it best on my show. He left the highest level degree of masonry you can go. You've just got a tremendous story. I'm going to hand you the mic because you're the best one to tell it. So you throw it back to me and you're ready. Take it away. Well, sure. Okay. Well, I was I was raised in a Catholic church back before Vatican II in the 50s, and I wanted to be a priest. And, uh, you know, went through college, went through minor seminary, all of that. And along the way, I had a professor who was a priest, he was a Catholic priest, tell me that Jesus, quote unquote, had been an occultist. That if I wanted to do the things he had done, and of course, you see, in the Catholic Church, they have this doctrine, you know, sacerdotus est alter Christus, which means the priest is another Christ. So when you're up on the altar doing the, the mass thing, you know, the liturgy, they, I think they call it now, you're acting as, as Jesus Christ. And he said, if you want to be like Jesus Christ, you have to do what he did. And this guy claimed that he had gone and studied in the Orient, that he'd studied with Egyptian magicians, that he'd studied with the lamas of Tibet and Indian gurus and, you know, all this weird stuff. And, you know, I was like 18 or 19 years old. I was just a kid. And this guy was a priest. And, you know, back in those days, it was like if the priest said something, it was like, you know, God is saying something, you know, and and now we know the other side of that story, of course, that, you know, it seems like half the priests out there are perverts. But anyway, you know, at the time I was very innocent and, you know, so I I started reading anything I could find on, on witchcraft and there wasn't a lot out there. This is obviously decades before there was an internet and there were only, you know, maybe a half dozen books on 
what was called white witchcraft. And I, I started reading them, and I ended up contacting uh, the king of the witches over in England, and he arranged to have me go to a coven in America and become a witch. So there I was, I was in seminary, and I was also a witch at the same time. Figure that one out. Anyway, finally I decided I wasn't going to do the celibacy thing because, of course, in witchcraft, a lot of the stuff involves, you know, sexuality and the male-female polarities and all that. So I figured I wasn't going to be celibate. So I took a leave of absence from the seminary and I taught music for a while and, you know, went down to Arkansas to study under the Grand Master Druid of North America. And I became a Druid High Priest, which is, you know, kind of a slightly different version of, of regular old Wicca, which is the term that's used for white witchcraft, for those of your listeners that may not know that word, it's W-I-C-C-A. It's also the name of my first book, Wicca, Satan's Little White Lie. And so anyhow, this man, this high-ranking Druid guy, he was like supposedly the highest-ranking Druid in North America. And he also was a 33rd-degree Mason, and he was also a Mormon bishop. And this guy told me that if you wanted to really understand the Luciferian mysteries, you needed to join the Masonic Lodge. And so moved to Milwaukee to start doing witch covens because we set up shop at the local occult bookstore. And we had like dozens of young people. And I mean, I say young. I mean, this time I was only 25, 24 years old. So we had all these people. I, I personally initiated 175 women into Wicca, you know, over the years of the, of the 70s. But I had an opportunity then to join the Masonic Lodge. And and so, as far as I knew, there was no incompatibility between witchcraft and Freemasonry, you know, because this high-level Druid guy was a Mason. And so I became a Master Mason. And an interesting thing happened at that at that ceremony, because it's a very long, involved thing, the three de third-degree initiation ceremony. They tell you, when you came into this lodge, we prayed for you. But now we invite you to pray for yourself. Because the journey you're about to embark upon, this is all in the ritual, many men have lost their lives in the process or have nearly done so. So anyhow, I said this prayer that my spirit guides from witchcraft told me to say. And for some reason, all these high-level masons that were doing the ritual work for me were very impressed by that and said, we're going to keep an eye on you. <laughs> so I went through the uh, York Rite, and I went through the Scottish Rite, which are the two kind of forks in the road of masonry. I was a lodge officer in some of these things. And along the way, I discovered there was a really dark side to all this. It was even dark by my standards as a witch. And one of the things that it led me to is I got involved with the Church of Satan. And I became a member of the Church of Satan. That was in the 76, 77, somewhere in there. And I became a warlock, which is a second-degree member of the Church of Satan. Got involved in, in Satanism. It, it was really, you know, like a whole... And people, I know people look at my resume, so to speak, my curricula vita, and they think, how could this guy have been nuts enough to do all of these things? What they need to understand is that I was doing two or three of them at the same time. You know, I was on like a multiple track course towards hell, and I didn't know it. I thought I was pursuing enlightenment, because of course, see, that's what the Masons promise you. The Masons promise you enlightenment. And of course, they don't tell you where the light's coming from. They just say you're going to get light. Well, of course, Lucifer, the name Lucifer means light bearer. So, you know, and of course, I understood that, but most Masons don't. Most Masons are, and I should just mention, we just are coming out right now, even as we speak, with a new DVD that's called Unholy Covenants. 
I felt led by the Spirit to do this. It's intended to be given to a Freemason that's a Christian, because there are thousands and thousands of Masons that are Christians. You know, evangelicals or mainline Protestants, you know, even fundamentalists and Carol, you know, just about any any flavor of Christianity you want to find out there, there are Masons that are, are of that denomination or whatever. And they don't know. They have been deceived. And I want to make this clear. Most Masons are nice guys. They don't understand what they're in. And I tell people they're kind of like children that are playing with an atomic bomb and they don't know what it is. They don't realize it could detonate and blow them to hell. But I did know what it was because I came into the lodge as a witch. And I recognized how similar the witch initiation is to the Masonic initiation. Because they're both secret initiatic societies. In fact, masonry is called the craft. And so is witchcraft called the craft. You know, so go figure. In fact, I wrote a book on masonry years ago called Masonry Beyond the Light. And in there I said, basically, masonry is the world's largest witch coven. But most Christian men that are in the lodge don't know this. So anyhow, I put together this DVD, Unholy Covenants, and in there I give my story briefly, but then I talk about, okay, here's some significant questions that you as a, a Mason that claims to profess Christ need to answer. And if you want, we can explore some of that, but I just want to briefly rabbit trail down there before I get back to my story. So most Masons don't know what they're involved in. And that's the sad part, because they're deceived. And of course, like I tell people, just because you think you're drinking water, but you're actually drinking poison doesn't mean it still won't kill you. And Masonry is spiritual poison. So I'm in I'm in the satanic order, and I'm also in Freemasonry, and getting deeper in the darkness all the time. Because like you know, for example, there there I got into the shrine, which is like at the pinnacle of of, of Masonry. You have to go through either the Scottish Rite or the York Rite first to become a Shriner. And I'm sure you've seen the TV commercials about the Shrine hospitals and helping the poor children. Yeah. Blah blah blah, and it's all a deception. The incredibly dark things, especially sexual things are done in the shrine and it, it's just really unfortunate because it's it's supposed to be the the party part of masonry because in most states the lower level masons aren't allowed to drink on the uh in the lodge room you know it's it's usually forbidden but in the shrine they're allowed to drink and boy oh boy they have some pretty wild parties in those things at the same time I was getting deeper into Satanism, deeper into darkness of, of Mormonism. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the whole Mormon thing. That's that's down the road a bit. Anyhow, what happened was I got a check in the mail back from the bank, and I'd sent that check to the Church of Satan, which I was paying my dues every year. You know, back in those days, they sent your checks back to you after they were canceled, and on the check she'd written, I'll be praying for you in Jesus' name. Now, think of that. You know, <laughs> at the time, I just laughed at her. I thought she was an idiot, you know, some dumb Christian, you know, and threw the check in the, in the file, you know, and forgot about it. Well, anyway, literally within a day or two, something hit me like a Mack truck. Mind you, at this time, I was a very powerful sorcerer. I was one of the leading black magicians on the west coast of Lake Michigan, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee, that whole corridor there. And something just slammed into me, and I lost all my occult power. I was as sick as a dog. Within a day or two, I lost my job. I was unemployed. I thought, what the heck is going on here? And, of course, it was this lady praying for me. Naturally, my ego and the demons that were within me wouldn't allow me to think that. So, and I asked 
Lucifer for a sign. We had a black temple up in the attic. Everything was painted black, and I knelt before the throne of Lucifer and prayed and sought a sign. You know, I said, hey, I've done all this stuff for you. I've signed my soul over to the devil, gotten other people to do it. You know, what's going on? Well, anyhow, the next day, I got this phone call from these two teenagers who were in Chicago, and they had heard about me, and they wanted to come up and see me. They were Satanists, and they said, we have a gift for you. So anyhow, these two uh, girls show up, they took the train up, and they walked in, and they, we were talking, and they handed me these two comic books, and they were Christian comic books, like Jack Chick, you know, publications. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at them and I thought, what the heck is this? And these two girls said, oh, you'll love these. They're so stupid. They're so Neanderthal. You'll just, you'll find, they were about the dangers of the occult. That's what they were about. It was Spellbound and Angel of Light, those oh, wow. two comic books. Yeah. These, are, these are from the 70s. And they're still just as good now as they were, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. So I just laughed at them. I forgot about them, threw them in the drawer. Well, the next day, there's a knock on the door and it's two Mormon missionaries. Now, I remember that this guy who was the Druid was a Mormon bishop. And he had told me if I ever got into deep spiritual trouble, I should join the Mormon church. Because the Mormon church was started by witches for witches. So I thought, okay, this is a sign from Lucifer. I'm supposed to join the Mormon church. So I joined the Mormon church. This was in, let's see, 1980. And I went through four years in the Mormon church, became an elder, became an elders quorum president, went through the temple many times. And of course, the Mormon temple, I call it the Temple of Doom, Joseph Smith's Temple of Doom, because it's a terrifying place. We have a DVD called Mormonism's Temple of Doom that, that goes into why that's the case. But so the funny thing is, just like, you know, we read in the Bible that the Almighty was able to use a donkey to talk. Well, he used the Mormon church to get me reading the Bible. And so for the first time in my life, I was actually reading the Bible, the King James Bible, because that's what Mormons use. Gradually, I studied myself to the point where I was realizing there were serious flaws in the Mormon church in terms of their theology, comparing them to the Bible. And at one point, I was an elders quorum president, and it means you go out and you visit people and call pastoral visits to see how people are doing. And I was exhausted. I came home, I flopped down on the couch and picked up the Bible to study it, and the Bible fell open to Matthew 11. You know, it says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will shine rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I sat and thought, wow, if this is, you know, a light burden, I'd hate to see a heavy burden. You know, I was out there working 40 hours a week for myself and my family and 40 hours a week for the Mormon church for free. Because all the people in the Mormon church at the low levels do all their jobs for free. And I was exhausted. And then I heard this voice in my head tell me, go to Matthew 23. And I don't know what Matthew 23 was. I'd only read through the Bible one time. So I went there, and of course, that's where Jesus is, is telling off the Pharisees. And he, he said, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne on people, and then lift not one little finger to help them, paraphrasing a little there. And I thought, that's what I'm doing. I mean, Mormons, I don't know if you know this, Mormons have like thousands of commandments, like 4,000 or more commandments they have to keep if they want to get to heaven. And nobody can do it. You know, and, and I had all these people I was trying to take care of as an elders quorum president, and they were all floundering because they couldn't meet the high standards of the LDS church. So all of this made me really start to doubt. And what happened was, is there was this ad in the, in the little penny advertiser thing that said, oh, there's a prophecy seminar. 
thought, well, okay, I'll go to that, and I'll steal some sheep for the Mormon church, because I was in a church that had a living prophet. You know, that's what Mormons believe. So I went to this seminar, and this guy was there. He was talking about the Book of Revelations and prophecy. It was, it was a kind of a conventional kind of thing, you know. And I kept asking him questions, and he kept shooting me down. No matter what I said, this guy really knew the scriptures. He really had an answer for everything. And finally, I asked him the one questions that Mormons usually ask Protestants. I said, well, where do you get the authority to baptize people so they can be saved? You know, because the Mormons are taught that there's only two possible true churches, either the Roman church, which claims to have this direct line of apostolic succession back to Peter, or the Mormon church. Anything else is out of luck. And, of course, the Mormons believe that the Catholic Church apostatized in the third century. I believe that, too, for that matter. But that's about the only thing I agree on with the Mormons. And so I asked this guy, where do you get the authority to to baptize people so they can be saved? And this guy sidestepped the question because he knew it wasn't my issue. My issue was I was a lost soul, lost as a golf ball in a wheat field. He said to me, Where do you get the idea we have to be baptized to be saved? It says in Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, now shalt be saved. And that verse just went right through me. It penetrated my magic Mormon underwear and hit right in my heart. Your magic underwear. (laughs) They did. They do. They wear magic. Mitt Romney wears magic underwear, you know. Anyway. Again, we can talk more about that if you want. But So the bottom line is I went home. I was trembling. I was afraid. I thought, could it be just this easy? You know, I prayed and I fasted, and I didn't get any answer. You know, it just seemed like this is the truth. And so finally, I remember those comic books, which were still in a box in the back of our closet. So I went and pulled out the comic, because I remember in the back there was a thing, How to Become Saved. And I thought, well, I've tried every other godforsaken thing in the world. I might as well try this. So I knelt at the foot of my bed, and I prayed the prayer that was in the back of that comic, and I gloriously saved. That was 1984, June 22nd. So, hallelujah. And that's my story in, in I guess, about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, that's the condensed version. Yeah, there's there's like four-hour <laughs> versions of it out there, the Illuminati, exposing Illuminati from within video. I'm glad you just said exposing the Illuminati video. What can you tell us? What deep, dark, covert secret can you tell us about the infamous Illuminati well, what happened was I mentioned in my story that these um, these gentlemen that initiated me into the third degree, that raised me to the sublime degree of a master mason, they took note of the fact that I had prayed this special prayer. And so later on down the line, a couple of years into the Masons, I got an invitation after I become a York Rite member of the Knights Templar, which is at the top of the uh, commandery, which is one part of the York Rite. I got an invitation to join the ancient and illuminated seers of Bavaria. So basically, I was taken and led through the first level of initiation into the Illuminati, which involves what is called the Luciferian initiation. And part of what I learned there is that there's this this subterranean underbelly of Freemasonry, which involves a tremendous amount of wicked sexual practices, including a lot of child abuse. Now, we've all heard in the last couple of years this whole thing with Pedogate and these high-level politicians being alleged to be involved with, with pedophilia. Well, this I knew about this 25, 30 years ago. See, these men believe 
that they can live forever by stealing the sexual innocence of children, in a nutshell. That's what they are taught in the high levels of masonry and the Illuminati. And that's why in our ministry over the years, we have had many, many people come to us and say, I was sexually molested by my Masonic father, my Masonic grandpa, my uncle when I was a little boy or a little girl. Wow. And, and they think that by deflowering little children who are who obviously have their whole lives ahead of them, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of life, they can steal all that life energy and vampirize those children with what I call sexual vampirism. And they hope to live forever. And of course, it's a lie. The only immortality we will ever get is through Christ. But they don't want to go that route because that involves getting saved and, and being obedient to the Almighty. But that is one of the main things I learned. And the, the, the other thing I went through is this Luciferian initiation where I was taken to this bizarre temple in the in the spiritual realm. It wasn't, I don't, I don't know if it was a physical thing or not, but, you know, I was taken to this place that appeared to be on a moon surrounding the planet Saturn. I know this sounds pretty bizarre, but, you know, when you're, when you're dreaming or out of your body, anything is possible. And so I was taken to this temple and there were all these people chanting in black robes in French. Uh, don't ask me why I was in French, but it was. And this giant satanic looking being comes down off his throne and he comes up to me. I'm, I'm basically laying on this altar naked, tied up, totally vulnerable. And he has this huge, I mean, this, this being was like 25 feet tall. And he had this huge taloned hand, you know, and he stuck one of these talons right into my forehead. And it just burned like a hot poker. And he says, now you belong to me, body, soul, and spirit forever. But of course, Christ had other ideas about that. But at the moment, it was it was terrifying. I felt like my brain was being bathed in live steam. And I crashed back to Earth, literally, in a flaming thing of fire in my parents' backyard because I was home visiting my parents when this happened. And, you know, there was actually a charred mark in the lawn the next morning. So was this real or was this like some weird nightmare? I'll tell you this much, I still have the scar. Wow, maybe some kind of human astral projecting, which, you know, a lot of high-level witches, they do admit that they travel around the soulish realm. Really, really demonic stuff. Now, it's interesting, you were exposing this stuff way before the Stanley Kubrick film. And by the way, he died during the filming of that movie. Probably just a coincidence. He died um, on the set of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. You've got all those robed characters and dark and sinister overtones. You know, I mean, you've been talking about this stuff for, like you said, 40 some years. A lot of this, as you said, high level rituals go on that, that we probably don't even really want to know about, William. Right. And that's why, I mean, I don't try to get too deep into some of this stuff because I don't want to frighten people. But a lot of people don't even know this stuff is out there. They, yeah. Like I said in many different venues, they think they live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And they don't. There's this dark underside of society. And you're right. That's exactly what Kubrick exposed, you know, in that Eyes Wide Shut film. That behind a lot of these powerful people, all the way up to the highest pinnacles of power, the way they get there is is through this occult underbelly of society, you know, and that's, that's sad, but you know, that's the reality. The stuff these 
weirdos do with blood, though, that's got to be the most disturbing part of it. The drinking of blood, the ingesting of blood, which the Bible clearly condemns. You know, some of this stuff is just so, it's unthinkable. And now I'm reading about androchrome and other things. It's just, you almost can't even read about it because it's so horrific and it's just so disgusting. You know, a lot of these billionaire Silicon Valley types, they're all into blood drinking. You know, it's going to give them some type of immortality. You know, a lot of these Peter Thiel types, they admit on record of ingesting young blood. I mean, that is straight out of the pit of hell. Yeah, they believe, especially if you see, if you kill either an animal or a person when they're terrified, of course, most people or animals are terrified that they're about to die and they know it. There's this huge amount of adrenaline in their bloodstream, you know, the fight and flight syndrome. And they believe that if you drink it at that moment, it's going to give you this huge rush of energy. Now, I had heard that about this Peter Thiel guy. I mean, I know who he is, but, you know, my word, you know, it, to me, it's stunning that this stuff is being talked about publicly because this is some of the most cult closely guarded secrets. And of course, I will just say this, you know, for many, many years back into the 90s, me and some of my ministerial colleagues, we have been praying, according to Ephesians 5, that the unfruitful works of darkness would be exposed. Amen. And that's what's happening. You know, more and more of this stuff is coming to light. You know, this spirit cooking and all this creepy yes. stuff and Hollywood glitterati being involved in that and, and politicians, you know, like Podesta and, you know, who's, of course, the right-hand man of Hillary, all of this stuff. And it, it, it used to be very carefully kept under the rug, you know, and now it's coming out. And I, I think it's because it's like the most high creator of the universe is like lancing this giant boil and letting all of this filth come out so that there could be healing for our society and uh, I mean, I'm kind of an optimistic guy, believe it or not, and I, I pray that we have revival, that we have repentance, that people start realizing there really is a hell, there really is a devil, that that this stuff is real, and that if you don't mend your ways and do do teshuva, you know, the Hebrew word for repentance, you're gonna you're gonna go there. It's not gonna be a pretty place. You know, with all the stuff that you've been involved in, you talk extensively about the LDS, the the Temple of Doom, the Mormon churches, you call it. I mean, you look at Jehovah's Witness, Scientology, all of these cults have one very interesting thread in common. They all have Freemasonic roots. I mean, why do you think they call it the Kingdom Hall? It's just a spinoff from the Masonic Hall. Masonic Halls don't have any windows, either do Jehovah's Witness buildings. They refuse to put windows. In them. And that's just the, really the tip of the iceberg. I've studied this stuff extensively. And I can tell you, it's funny, Fritz Springmar talked about on my show one time, he went into he went into the watchtower in New York City. And he said, if you read their own writings, you would be absolutely jaw dropped at what they say in their own words. And that's the thing. I mean, who's really running off to the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower Society headquarters and reading in, in their own library, but he was absolutely stunned. And he really laid some of this out good. But one of my best friends has a son in the Mormon church. And one of the things I find is it's so subtle at the lower levels, because it seems really attractive. I mean, they're really family oriented, they help each other out in their church, it just seems so benevolent, but it's far from it. And that's what makes me think there's some kind of really intense mind control going on, isn't there? Oh, yeah, both both of those groups 
groups. I'm more familiar, of course, with the Mormons because I was one for five years. But both of them will use, they use, you know, psychological manipulation and, of course, spiritual manipulation. But I remember as a Mormon, we were taught to bear our testimony. That's the term that's used. And you say, like, you know, I want to bury my testimony that Joseph Smith is a living prophet, that the Book of Mormon is true, that, you know, and you go, and it's like a thing you memorize. And you notice if you witness to a Mormon about Christ and you push them kind of up against the wall scripturally, all of a sudden their eyes will glaze over and they'll start saying, well, I believe that I bury my testimony that Joseph Smith is a prophet and yeah. the Book of Mormon. And, and you just got to go clap your hands and say, wait a minute, how do you know that? And the look on their faces when you do that, it's like their eyes go, uh, uh, uh. you can almost see tilt in their eyes because you've derailed the programming, at least momentarily. Yeah, they're, they're totally in a trance. Well, and let's not forget the Catholics. No one is more deceived and duped than the poor Catholics. Oh, yeah. And the Catholics are the worst of the lot. You know, I mean, because they've, they've been at it the longest. They have this huge, it's like a, a flywheel of evil that keeps going forward and forward and forward. And, you know, that's why I personally, I mean, everybody has their own theories about this. But I think when the Antichrist appears that the Pope is going to be the false prophet that's prophesied in the book of Revelation. And I think that the, the, the beast himself is going to be a political figure with, obviously, religious overtones. And, of course, the dragon is going to be, you know, the devil himself. So I, you know, that's why we made this. We have a DVD called uh, Catholicism, the Church on Haunted Hill, where we go into all of this and, and explain. I mean, the, the Vatican is actually built on a cursed hill one of the seven hills of Rome. And yeah. it's the Vatican Hill before, you know, they built the cathedral and all that stuff. That used to be the place for soothsaying and necromancy. It was kind of like, a, if you will, a shopping mall for fortune tellers in ancient Rome. You could go if you wanted to have your fortune told, your entrails, you know, all this weird junk, you know. They would go to this Vatican Hill. It was one of the seven hills of Rome. And that's where they chose to build St. Peter's Basilica. Isn't that interesting? In fact, some people believe, I know Pius XII, who was the Pope when I was in my early years of being a little Catholic boy, he believed that the gates of hell were right underneath the Vatican. Yeah, all roads really do lead to Rome, which reminds me, uh, that unholy sea, it's called the unholy sea. The Vatican knows all the secrets. That is something to check out over there on Vimeo. True legend, Steve Quayle's group did it. The unholy sea, it, it actually talks about what is really under the Vatican. And these other Catholic churches are built on top of, well, you'll have to watch the video. But, you know, and that's the amazing things is all the secrecy and the cover up. Speaking of Steve, I think he said the greatest cover-up of history is the cover-up of history. That's stunning, really. Now, with Freemasons, I, I do have a question for you. What are the difference between the various ranks and orders? Because, you know, we typically hear of the 33rd degree Masons, but then there's 90th degree Masons. You know, we heard the Royal Order of Scotland, the Knights Templar, York Rite, Scottish Rite. Help us kind of understand a little bit better the orders and the ranks. Well, okay. Uh, the Scottish Rite uh, has has twenty nine degrees, and then if you are a really good Mason, or and or if you're like a very high level influential figure, like say Bob Dole or Strom Thurmond, a lot of these high level politicians or rich guys, they get to be coronated a thirty third degree Mason, and that takes place in the House of the Temple, which is thirteen blocks from the White House in Washington D.C. 
Now, that's the American system, but everybody needs to understand masonry is not from America. Masonry originated in Europe. Most of the lodges in America are from the Grand Lodge of England. That's where they get their charters, their warrants. But there's a whole another branch of masonry that's called the Grand Orient, and that operates out of Germany and France, and it's much more overtly satanic. Then there's also the Rite of Memphis Mitzrium. And in the Rite of Memphis Mitzrium, you have 360 degrees. Just like, you know, there's 360 degrees in a circle. That's the branch I was in. It's Egyptian Freemasonry because, of course, you know, Mitzrium is the Hebrew word for Egypt and Memphis is a city in Egypt. That's Egyptian Masonry. And it's the, one of the darkest things. It was founded by this guy named Cagliostro, who was a famous 19th century sorcerer. Very dark stuff. And again, you learn to develop what they call the Congress of Demons, the Congress of Devils, where you actually cultivate sexual relationships with fallen angelic beings. Very nasty stuff. So when I say I'm a 90th degree Mason, that doesn't mean it was through American Masonry. This fellow came over from France and initiated me brought, you know, down in Chicago. He initiated me into the, the rite of uh, Memphis Mitzrayim. Very, very, very nasty stuff. But again, they believe, see, they believe that if you have sex with a fallen angel, you'll become angelic. You'll partake of their godlike powers because you become one flesh with this fallen celestial being. Mm. Just like, you know, a man and a wife become one flesh. I mean, like if you have a pet, like you have a dog, and the, the dog gets you to really love him, and you really love this dog, when that dog dies, they're going to reincarnate as a human. Well, in the same way, if you can get a fallen angel to love you, quote unquote, and it's anything but love, believe me, but, it, you know, partake of this kind of thing, then when you die, you will reincarnate as a fallen angel. In other words, you'll become a god or a goddess. And it's a total lie. It's a total sham. You know, Jesus said, you know, in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Of course, in the days of Noah was when it says the sons of God, those are angels, benai Elohim. They came down and they married the daughters of men. And then they had these these children, the Nephilim, who were the mighty men, the men of renown. And these were these demigod-like beings like, you know, Hercules and, you know, some of these characters you see. Even like, you know, beings like Thor or these various, you know, demigod-like beings. All this stuff is from fallen angels. And, of course, then there's the whole concept of the Aragorn. You know, the fact that that's a Greek word, it means a mind form. You know, the idea that if you, if, you, if you take some idea and you get enough people to believe in it and worship it like an idol, that it eventually gathers enough energy from all of these hundreds or thousands of people worshiping it that it acquires a life of its own and it becomes a demonic strongman. Something like, you know, Shiva or Kali or Krishna, or take your pick of all these dozens and dozens of false Elohim, false gods all over the world. You know, they all are powered by the worship of their followers. Yeah, right. And don't you find it so interesting that all these high-level occultists, Aleister Crowley, Madame Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, isn't it interesting that the one thing these sinister characters are always interested, even you look at Ron L. Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, who is palsy-walsies with Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons. Oh, gee, I wonder how a rocket scientist occultist blew himself up. I always maintain that these highest-level devils, they always have one thing in common 
Talmud. They want to open gateways, open portals, pierce the spiritual veil, and bring back these entities that they love so much. Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, and it's really funny because right now I think I, I heard somewhere on CBS, uh, the, the streaming form of CBS, they're actually doing a show about Jack Parsons and yes, Telema. Yes. I forget the name of it. But that that's, that's mainstreaming some of the darkest magical stuff that's part of the 20th century occult heritage. I mean, this guy was a follower of Crowley. He founded Jet Propulsion Laboratories. And he was trying to do this Babylon working and, like you say, open a gateway for these powerful trans demonic beings to come through and invade our our planet, you know. And, and he ended up blowing himself up in a rocket fuel accident, which probably is a good thing, but not for him. All of this. And, of course, that was that was 60, 70 years ago. And things have gotten worse, progressively worse. With all this cornucopia of Hell's Kitchen that you've been involved with, and you've been involved in so many different things on your journey, boy, oh boy, what if anything really surprises you coming away from all of what you've been involved with? Basically, just this idea that people think they can live forever, whether it's by sexual vampirism or by drinking blood or by selling their soul to the devil. Everybody wants to live forever. And, of course, that's the promise that Christ gives us. You know, Yahushua the Messiah. And, and he, he is the only who alone has immortality. So if you want to be really immortal and have a glorified, resurrected body, you have to bow the knee and accept a Messiah as your Lord and Savior. That's what you got to do. And these people don't want to do it. They think along with Satan, you know, I better to reign in hell and serve in heaven. And so they believe that if they can live forever, they can escape hell and amass these huge fortunes. Because some of these people are wealthy beyond anybody's wildest dreams. You know, we're talking trillions of dollars, you know, being done through drugs and, you know, drug monies and all kinds of stuff that make, would make the mafia blush. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing to me. Satan does not have any problem getting his projects financed, does he? Oh, yeah, sure. He doesn't have to stand on the corner with a tin cup and beg for funds. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. That is true. Well, one of the things I find so fascinating over the years is I've interviewed former Satanists, former occultists, witches, high-level witches. One of the things they always say, and you, you mentioned it as well, when that lady from the bank was praying for you, it is is amazing to me that Christians that are powerful and really know how to exercise their power and authority and do spiritual warfare, we the saints, when we know how to exercise our authority, will win every time all day long. And why? Because powerful prayer works. All these evil workers of iniquity, these evil practitioners, they're no match for Holy Spirit powerful warriors of God. We have power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And also, that's why we really got to get back to Mark 16 ministry. That We've got to get back to that. Yeah, and also an emphasis on righteousness. Instead of, I mean, the, right now, most, most Christians, it's almost indistinguishable between the, the church and the world. They're off, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, and, you know, they see no problem with it. And because they're, they're being taught this happy talk gospel, you know, psychobabble gospel, they, and, you know, here's the sad thing. Let me just say this. 
The sad thing is people are hungry for something to be really committed to, and that's why they join a cult. Because most cults, like the Mormons or, or even the Muslims or, or the Jehovah Witnesses, they demand more of their followers than the church does. And people, at some level, they understand there needs to be a strong commitment and a lifestyle change. And that's why you see these things like this black Muslim organization going into prison and capturing the lives of these young black men that are in there for all sorts of various offenses. And they, quote unquote, turn their lives around, but they're serving the wrong deity. This always reminds me of what Dr. Walter Martin said. He was one of my mentors. He said, the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Wow. If the church was doing its job, there would be no Mormons, there would be no Jehovah Witnesses, because revival would be spreading throughout the land, like wildfire. I mean, do you realize that at the beginning of the 19th century, there was so much revival going on in America with the preaching of mighty preachers, Jonathan Edwards being the best known, they literally called the whole of New England the burned-over district because the revival fires had gone through there so many times there was hardly anybody left that wasn't on fire for God. And we don't have that kind of thing anymore. We don't have the fire. We don't have the power because, like my wife Mary says, in obedience is power. If you follow Christ, you've got to really follow him and not just be a pretend Christian. And, you know, it's more than just being loving. You've also got to be willing to, to discipline. You know, the word disciple is rooted in the word discipline. Discipline yourself, pray. Christians don't pray enough. They don't fast enough. They don't do spiritual warfare enough. Amen. And that's, let me just say this. We have this website, you know, withoneaccord.org, and we have all kinds of prayers on there that people can download how to pray during dark seasons. Like, for example, let's see, the next major satanic holiday is August 1st. You need to gear up for that. And there's, there's also, before that, there's this whole dog day thing, serious day on July 23rd, which is a little over, a little less than a month away. Yeah. Christians need to come against these things. And that's why we put out, we have a YouTube channel, we put out all of these videos, teaching Christians in these videos how to pray against feasts to come across. There's eight major feasts throughout the year, plus some smaller ones that are satanic feasts. They're counterfeits for the calendar that the Almighty gave his people Israel in the Torah. So these are powerful resources we have. We have deliverance prayers people can download for free. We have all sorts of teachings like how to witness to Mormons, how to witness to Masons, how to, you know, do deliverance how to do breaking ancestral curses, all these different things. We have these resources available for free on our website. Plus, you know, all of my books are there, and we got dozens of DVDs, including this new one, The Unholy Covenants. Lots of stuff. People just, in fact, we have one one huge thing that I did with an Australian firm. It's a nine-hour DVD set, and it's called Interview with an Ex-Vampire. Imagine, you know, talking to this woman from Australia, interviewed me for nine hours. Not all at once, of course, thank goodness. But, you know, and it's an amazing package of materials. You can get it on our website. Now, you got involved in vampirism. You know, we've had this especially for the last decade, a real obsession with vampirism. Every other movie or show is about vampires. I find a, a lot of kids and teenagers are into this nowadays. Look at the popularity just of the Twilight Saga. What are some things, Bill, you can share with parents out there regarding maybe their teenagers are into this? Because after all, it's cool, trendy, and sexy to be undead, Bill. Well, yeah, and see, I, that's why I wrote the book about three or four years ago, Romancing Death. 
And I would recommend any any parent that's concerned about this get this book. You know, it's available in e form, you know, an e publication form, and also as a as a hard copy book on our website. We have it at a special price. You know, it's like five dollars, give or take, and it's a it's a good size book. The problem is most teenagers are incredibly self conscious about how they look. You know, they see these impossible standards that, that the media promotes, and the idea of the, that was promoted originally. To a certain extent with Interview with a Vampire and the Anne Rice books, but then later by these Twilight novels, is that if you become a vampire, you'll be gorgeous forever. You'll never grow old. You won't have zits. You know, you won't be awkward. You know, all this stuff. And it's, it's like you say, it's very sexy. And, and I kind of go through and I examine the, um, the Stephanie Myers books, the Twilight books in this, because back when I wrote this, they were the big thing. And you're right, it's still going on, you know, and kids, because they want to be cool and, it, and it's edgy, you know, to do something like drink blood is very edgy. And it's, it's, of course, the ultimate counterculture. And that appeals to kids because they're, they're trying to, you know, find themselves and, you know, the whole teenage rebellion thing that, that our generation went through, that every generation goes through. And, you know, that's the problem. And so I would suggest this Romancing Death book. We also have a video called Vampires and Werewolves. Are they real or fake? Because, again, all of this stuff, at the, at the root of all this, Sheila, I'll tell you, the root of all this is the quest for power. Because young people feel powerless. They feel powerless because they aren't yet adults. They can't, like, you know, drink legally. They can't. There's things they aren't allowed to do. They think of it that they're under the thumb, quote-unquote, of teachers and parents and so on. And plus, they look at the world, yeah. and they feel powerless. You know, nuclear weapons in Korea and this and that. And, of course, most of these kids are being taught that, that Donald Trump is the Antichrist, you know, or Hitler or whatever. And, <laughs> and so they think the country's horrible. And, and they figure if they can get into the occult, if they can become a witch or a warlock or a vampire, they can take control of their life. And it's a lie. It's an illusion. But it's an illusion that can literally cost them their souls. You know, I guess this is what surprises me the most is that churches, they're just not talking about any of this stuff. When it comes to the spiritual realm, they're not going to go there. Demons are real. Hell is real. Satan is real. And I wonder if we could get a glimpse into the spirit realm sometime. Boy, oh boy, would not snap people out of their trance real quick because young people go to witchcraft for power. Well, again, witches are no match for a Holy Ghost filled Christian. So you'd think that would be attractive to young people. Right, yeah, and I know, but you see, most churches won't touch that. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. True. Most churches are bland, insipid, shallow places where there's no power. And because of that, kids, young people, they see through the hypocrisy, they through the, see through the shallowness, they want to have power. And, and it's not a, I mean, the impulse is, is good, it's just they go the wrong way because the churches seem dull and lifeless, and many of them are. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew that, you know, upon this rock, which is himself, I will build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, you think about that, that sounds like we are an offensive thing. The church is supposed to plow through the gates of hell and take captives, bring people to Messiah. 
crash through the gates of hell. And we aren't doing that anymore. Or if we are, we're doing it piecemeal. We need to, I totally agree with you, we need to be aggressive, we need to be gutsy, we need to return to the kind of muscular Christianity we had in the 19th century, where people moved with power. I mean, you know, there were men back then, like Finney and Moody, where they would they would just sail into a port yeah. to preach, and people would, would fall out in the spirit while their ship was still a mile out at sea, and they would wake up saved. And nobody has that kind of anointing anymore because nobody is willing to spend the time praying and crying out and seeking God and studying the scriptures, you know, because that's a commitment that most pastors and most evangelists aren't willing to do. They'd rather have the glitz, the jets, the mansions, and the happy talk gospel. And because of that, the church has been defanged and declawed, castrated, basically. And that's, that's horrible, but that's what you got. And we need to take back the world for Messiah. We should be titanium-spined hell crashers. That's what we should be. In uh, John Carpenter's They Live, we hear a famous line, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick butt, and I'm all out of bubblegum. That really should be our mantra to these devils. By the way, the original is not kick butt. You get the point. <laughs> but seriously, that's how we should be approaching the kingdom of darkness. I'm all out of bubblegum, demons. Yes. You know, one thing just to mention, on our website, we, we have a DVD called Resisting Under Blood, and we also have the, a teaching on issue you can download about how there's different parts of the armor that are offensive that most Christians don't even know exist, that the Spirit has shown us over the years, like the battle axe of the glittering spear, the war hammer, the arrows of deliverance. And if we deploy these things en masse, instead of just you know a few people here and there doing it, we can shatter the gates of hell. Agree, agree. Well, now you've got some absolutely fantastic resources. William, if you would please give out your website and also in the waning moments here, would you lead us into prayer, please, sir? Okay, well, yeah, our, our website is withoneaccord.org. And uh, as I've said, we have a lot of free resources, and all of our DVDs and books are available there. So please check us out. We also have our YouTube channel. We're, we're approaching 100 videos that we've uploaded that have some really earth shattering teachings on them. So go for it there. Yeah, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Sheila and her ministry that she has. And we do pray right now that the people that are hearing this, if they are saved, that they would just be inspired to pray more, to learn more, to study the scriptures more, and to be <clears throat> assertive and aggressive in their prayer time and come against these dark things with strategic, tactical prayers that, like such as we have on our website. And Father, we ask you to please bless this broadcast that it would reach many, many people and change their lives. And Father, we do pray that if there are people out there listening to this that are not born again, that don't know Jesus as their Savior, Father, we pray that you would just touch their hearts by what I've shared, that no matter what they're involved in, how their lives are, are not the way they like them to be, that, he, that he's the answer, that Christ is the answer. They need to bend the knee to him and pray, repent of their sins, confess their sins to him, and ask Yahushua, Jesus Christ, to be their Savior and to be the Lord of their lives to save them from their sins. And that's what it takes. It doesn't take joining a church or being dunked in water or going to the Mormon temple. It just takes entering into a personal saving relationship with the master of the universe, Yahushua the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for touching these lost people with your truth. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Amen. Thank you for that, William. And thank you very much for coming on the program and laying this out. This is really important stuff. And I really highly recommend that folks jump on over there to your website and get some of these resources. They're very good, especially the stuff on Freemasonry, the Temple of Doom. That's so good. It's a must have. Just so many great resources. William, thank you again for taking the time and coming on the program. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Sheila. Maybe we could do it again sometime. Oh, you better believe it. I'd love to have you back on. Folks, that was William Schnobelin. All his information is linked there in the description below. And do check out, like I said, his website. So good. You're in for an incredible treat. Tomorrow, Dr. Van Hutchinson. Do not miss this show. It's called Satan's Kingdom. And boy, oh boy, is it ever good. So be watching for that. Make sure that you are subscribed to both the podcast. Just type in Sheila Zielinski Podomatic and become a subscriber. You'll get notifications on the podcast and the YouTube channel. And make sure you're following me on social media. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless.